welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives Podcast. I'm Kisa Shreen. Giselle George-Joseph is Global Chief Operating Officer of the Global Investment Research, GDIR, division at Goldman Sachs. Now, in this role, she works closely with divisional leadership on the management of global investment research, as well as the development and execution of key strategic initiatives. Giselle has played a leading role in publishing research that addresses social and economic racial inequalities, and we'll get to that in a second. Giselle, it is so great to have you with us. It's so great to be with you, Kisa. Now, let's kick off by talking about some of this in-depth research that you've been involved in, top of mind, Black womenomics. You know, you mentioned that your company had previous work around gender and social mobility, but that racial equality hadn't really been a part of the equation. And then you describe this tremendous moment during the horrendous news um, of George Floyd in 2020 and how that just created an opportunity. Tell us about that. George Floyd, like a lot of these moments we have in American history, really opens people's eyes up to the reality, I think, of racial equality in this country. And so we had that moment back, you know, the George Floyd incident happened, completely tragic moment. But you have these moments of, I think, awakening where the whole world, not just the U.S., goes, what do we need to do to effect change? And I think for us as Goldman Sachs, we had this moment where our CEO thought, we don't want to be what, you know, I say jokingly is diversity tourists right? Like people who make big commitments, but don't really follow through. So we sort of paused and said, what could we really do to make a difference in this moment and for a long time to come, right? Not just making an announcement in this moment, but setting up infrastructure that can actually change the course of racial inequality in this country. And so we started writing research because that's the platform that we have available to us. And on the back of that research, we've done a lot of initiatives at Goldman that we'll talk about throughout the podcast. So in terms of the research, what does success look like? What do you have top of mind for you all to um, be able to meet in terms of performance indicators, in terms of getting messages out there? What does success look like? So we get this question a lot. Look, I think ultimately the goal is to help close the racial wealth gap, right? When we look at what that wealth gap actually is, we're talking about 90% wealth gap. That's the top line number, right? That Black Americans experience a wealth gap that's 90% in this country. And we can deep dive a little bit into what makes that wealth gap so extensive and, and some of the considerations there. But I think what we're trying to do as a firm and as an institution is ultimately help close that wealth gap. And while that's a structural issue, meaning that you know, we need to make changes really at the systemic level, it's also at the individual level. And I love telling this story and I feel I'm you know, being repetitive because I think I'd say this at least twice a week, but there's a parable of the starfish on the beach, right? Where the old man is walking on the beach, littered with starfish, and then he meets a little boy throwing the starfish into the ocean one by one. He tells the little boy that he's not going to be able to make much of a difference given there are tens of thousands of starfish on the beach. And as he throws one starfish into the beach, the little boy looks at the old man and he says, I think it makes a difference to that one. And that's how I think we're thinking about impact. It's not just the structural long-term change that we're trying to make, which of course is real and, and we're very focused on, but it's also how do we change the lives of individual people in this country, especially for us Black women. 
That's amazing. And, and from there, let's talk about Black womenomics. I think that's a, a great way to segue. Tell us about that specific piece of research and why it's so important for, for Goldman Sachs. I think that research and advocacy are just so critical in the journey toward racial economic equality. So being able, especially as a Black woman, to be part of this platform and to be able to use our platform to elevate awareness and to offer really actions to help mobilize change, that's been really important for us. So Black Womenomics, so that again came on the back of George Floyd. We had written one piece called Top of Mind, investing in racial economic inequality. And on the back of that wrote Black Womenomics, the first one really focused on all the different economic disadvantages that Black women faced. And then this recent one really focused on business ownership. But I'll state a couple of quick, you know, quick facts that I think really helped bring home why Black women, why the focus there. Health stat, Black women have three to four times the pregnancy-related mortality rate than white women in this country. We're talking about 2022. And that number actually hasn't gotten better. It's actually gotten increasingly worse, which is really sort of mind-blowing. We're talking about Black women's lives here, right? And so three to four times the pregnancy-related mortality rate is a number that we need to focus on. On education, we're in 2022 again, and 70% of Black students attend a school where the majority of students are non-white. We're talking segregated schools in 2022, and that's six decades after Brown versus the Board of Education. And that's really important because a lot of primary and secondary schools that Black students attend tend to be less well-funded. And then the third point I'll say, which I haven't used that fact in a long time, but I think it was one of the pieces of uh, data point that really sort of blew my mind. And we leveraged that actually from research done by our head of research and chief economist, Jan Hatzius, but pretty impactful. The fact that infants of all races show the exact same cognitive ability, but Black children in the U.S. start to fall behind around age two. And that's because of uneven opportunities. And that gap only continues to grow over time. So if we needed any confirmation, we all start at the same exact place. But the playing field isn't level, it doesn't stay level, and economic equality and racial social equality, that's something that does not happen naturally in this country and something we need to continue to focus on. So Giselle, let's talk about milestones and benchmarks that you use to measure the success of your work. So we, we like naming our programs at Goldman with the goalpost. So as you talked about before, we've done research on womenomics for many, many years. And on the back of that, we created 10,000 women, 10,000 small businesses. And then with this program that's on the back of Black womenomics research, we have a very real number of Black women, so 1 million, a set amount of capital that we want to invest, so $10 billion of investment in you know, the next 10 years, so a set number of years, and then $100 million in philanthropic capital. So hopefully that is the marker that we can get way beyond that, but that is the marker. And I think that's really important, setting benchmarks that are very clear, timelines that are very clear in being able to actually make and mobilize change. And that's great. And I think it could be a model for other firms who are looking to do the same. Exactly, exactly. Climate has shifted from the margins of finance to the mainstream. The financial system has a crucial part to play in achieving economy-wide decarbonization and transitioning to a net zero economy. Discover how the London Stock Exchange Group is enabling the global financial markets to achieve sustainable growth 
with our unique ecosystem of sustainable finance solutions and insights at lsec.com forward slash net zero podcast. This brings us to um, something that you and I talked about before, and it was um, the emotion that can be tied to data. And you shared this incredible story that was called out that emotions are tied to data and how you deal with that when you're looking to create this narrative and create this story. Share that with us. When we say emotions being tied to data, what does that mean? And how are you able to construct a story with that in mind? It's such a great point because, I mean, <laughs> obviously with this kind of research, especially for me, it hits close to home. And you have to try to compartmentalize when you write research. It's, it's why I try not to say we when I'm talking about it. And I say black women and they almost as if it's separate from me, but it's not. And, and the stats, you know, sort of get to you. So the, the story that you're referencing when we did the first draft and I brought it to my, you know, to my boss, Jan Hatzias, who heads the research division, he read through it and came back to me and said, this is too emotional like start from scratch again. And that is a really critical point and a really, really critical part of how we actually conduct research at Goldman Sachs. So in my CEO role, we, and together with divisional leadership, we tell our people constantly that producing analytically rigorous research in a timely manner is literally what we do. And we set that standard for the research that we do with inclusive growth research as well. So we ground the research both in existing academic research and then using data from very well-known sources. You know, for example, we'll use the annual business survey, we'll use the Federal Reserve Bank data, we'll use current population survey microdata from the Census Bureau, etc. And then what we do internally is that we employ a peer review process where our own economists, including as I mentioned, our chief economist who's very involved in the in the research process, can then challenge us and advise to ensure that the work is representative of the, you know, intellectually robust research that we produce as a division. And in terms of the work that you produce as division and as a company, I have to point out the work that you're doing with historically Black colleges and universities. And I'd love to talk about that, as well as just what that means for mentorship and sponsorship overall, and your own personal experience with having you know, tremendous mentors and sponsors that helped you to get to where you are. Could you talk about how that plays hand in hand, bringing in new recruits and also the role of mentorship to really make sure that um, they can progress in their careers? So I am so happy that our firm and a lot of firms have really focused on HBCUs in the past couple of years, especially post-George Floyd. But, you know, a few years ago, I, I won't say which CEO across Wall Street said that getting Black talent was difficult. And I think for a lot of us on Wall Street, we sort of paused and went, there are 100 HBCUs, and granted, not all of them have business programs, but there are 100 HBCUs across the U.S. that graduate thousands and thousands of Black you know, young people every single year. And so how is there not a pipeline coming through, right? But it's also, how do you take that pipeline and how do you mentor and, and sponsor that pipeline literally into the doors of Wall Street? 
And so a couple of years ago, we started this new program at Goldman called Market Madness, HBCU Possibilities. And as somebody who went to an HBCU, again, something very, very dear to my heart, and I've been very involved in the program, but we basically bring 125 students from 12 HBCUs around the US, and we've committed to investing $25 million over the next five years. And that's really important because, again, having not just one moment in time, but having a long-term plan for how you're going to develop that pipeline is very, very important. And so we bring these students in, we spend weeks teaching them about Goldman Sachs, exposing them to our you know, different programs, interview skills, resume workshops, communication skills, basic Excel skills, presentation skills, like all of the things that I will tell you for somebody who went to an HBCU that was underfunded, I did not get the opportunity to do. And so having the students come in, be able to get to know the firm, get to know how Wall Street works, get to know the basics of actually applying for a job, then positions them to be able to interview, not just at Goldman Sachs, of course we want as many of the pipeline as possible, but also for other parts of, of Wall Street as well. And then just to go to your question about personal mentorship, that is so important. Like I've been at Goldman for 17 years. I would not honestly have been here as long without the mentorship and the sponsorship of really, and by the way, an incredible amount of people, not just black senior people. Of course, that's been really important, but across the board, white, black, Chinese, Hispanic, more senior than me, more junior than me, like the sponsorship and the support of the community is just so incredibly important when, you know, again, coming from a small island in the Caribbean, going to a school in the South with 5,000 people, literally having no idea what Goldman Sachs was before I, I you know, the year before applied for an internship, which I did not get, you know, that whole process for me has been, has been really important and having really great people around you to tell you when to do and not to do, when to lift your head up and not to lift your head up, when to stop saying something that you're saying very loudly, like all those things actually matter in, in helping you sustain a career over time. And that's really critical, not just again, a moment in time, but sustenance and, and sustainability over time. Fantastic. And, you know, really, we talk about mentorship and sponsorship and, you know, the great work that we do to bring in new talent. But the end goal for, for some of us, the end goal is to work in corporates. But for others, the end goal is to be an entrepreneur, to go out and, you know, bring new innovation. And I think that there's some important work that's being done around understanding the rate at which some people's entrepreneurship endeavors succeed in terms of growing, becoming revenue generating, and the rate at which others, quite frankly, don't have that success. Could you share with us some clear realities around where we actually are if we look at entrepreneurship today? So one of the reasons we wanted to deep dive into Black women owning businesses and what that looks like is because a lot of people don't know this, but Black women start businesses at one of the highest rates in the U.S. But then when you actually look at the numbers, Black women make up 6% of the U.S. population, but they only, they, <laughs> they only own 2% of employer businesses. And that balance or that imbalance is, is really stuck when you look at single Black women. So almost in every part of the data, you talk about Black women and then you look at single Black women and the reality is almost always more stark looking at single Black women. But single Black women own less than 1%. Um, of American employer businesses. It's 0.5%. And that rate is 24 times lower than for single white men. 
like I like just sort of sitting with that kind of data for a second, right? 24 times lower than single white men. And this is again important because business ownership has a very large impact on economic progress. And why do we see such a great you know, divide and a great gap there? Again, credit market challenges. Black women tend to have lower levels of wealth. There are a lot of liquidity constraints and all of that help create really a lot of barriers for entry into Black women-owned businesses. And once Black women are able to own businesses, you have on top of that sort of financial knowledge gaps and structural discrimination that compound those issues. So it's not an easy thing, I think, for a lot of Black women to start a business for all the reasons that I know it, but even harder you find sustaining a business over time. And then one thing I'll say on the on the financial knowledge gaps, it's interesting because I was talking to a friend, I'm part of the Aspen Institute uh, Finance Fellows Program, and I was talking to a friend there who said, well, I feel like we're getting better at the financial literacy gaps, right? And actually, when you look at financial knowledge, Black Americans overall, but particularly Black women tend to lag in their ability to just know some basics around financial knowledge. And so one of the ways at Goldman that we're actually targeting that, we just launched a new program called Black in Business, where we're asking Black women business owners to apply to this program. And we'll spend a few weeks just sort of walking them through the basics of owning a business. And for a lot of Black women who are obviously trying hard to better their positions in lives and, and to, you know, create economic mobility for themselves, having that access, I think, is really important because financial knowledge is frequently, I think, understated just how important that part of owning a business is. Well, I mean, Beth said their financial knowledge, understanding how to implement it, that's where the power lies, starting from very early into yeah. college, progressing into early career with mentorship, sponsorship, as well as being able to access capital for entrepreneurship. Thank you so much. Great information. Giselle, George, Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Kisa. It was such a pleasure to be with you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on Apple or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining. See you next time.